This podcast features eco-entrepreneur Andy Rubin. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. How does one go from working at Walmart as an executive to founding one of the most eco-forward thinking companies around? Today's guest, Andy Rubin's path to founding Yertle, a company that focuses on re-commerce, is an interesting one. Andy actually had a really cool job at Walmart. He was the company's first ever chief sustainability officer. In 2012, he had the wild idea to reduce the amount of new items we purchased by 25%. So he co-founded Yertle. It's a B corporation that focuses on the buying back and reselling of items that would otherwise end up in a landfill. We talk about how he got to Walmart and into business in the first place, how Yertle works with brands like Patagonia and REI and how it affects consumers like us, what we can all do to take better care of our planet, and how you can work in sustainability, including what you should study, read, and why working with a big company is actually a great option if you want to do impactful work. I like people who take untraditional paths toward their careers, and this is a great story from a forward thinker wanting to make a bigger impact on our environment. Enjoy. All right, Andy, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. I think we should just start with, tell us what is Yertle? Awesome. Thank you. Yertle is a service provider for brands who want basically want to move into the re-commerce space. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit like what re-commerce is and, and define the circular economy as well, because I know you've talked about that. Those two concepts are really cool. Yes. The idea of re-commerce, if you're a brand, is buying back items that you've made and then putting them back for their next owner, right? So reselling them, re-commerce, commerce again. So a brand like Patagonia or REI, you know, they, they sell or they make items that last a long time. And so they put a lot into those items. And increasingly, they're getting the benefit of not just the first sale, but, you know, the second, third, and fourth sale is the items keep going through multiple users. And then we're not wasting stuff. So so I want to dive deeper into this, but first, I think your background's really interesting. Maybe you can just tell us, how did you get this wild idea to go from Walmart to sustainability? Yeah, so like a lot of people, it's a little circuitous. So First of all, I, I thought I would never go into business. And after years of consulting, irony of all ironies, I ended up running global strategy for Walmart, which honestly, I loved the role and spent um, a number of years at Walmart, including the beginning or really starting sustainability. And one of the things that I realized in a big retailer is that most retail and most brands are so focused on selling an item, right? Producing an item, advertising it, the benefits of it and selling it. And then the rest, once an item leaves a store, the retailers and brands lose all the connection with it. And I realized at Walmart there was such an opportunity for a brand to stay in touch with the customer and to realize that, you know, maybe that's an item that we sold two years ago and now it's just sitting in someone's closet. So the ability to 
help get value still out of that perfectly good item to buy it back and to get it to its next donor, I saw as a huge opportunity. So I left Walmart in 2012 to start Yertle. So let's go back. There is this aha moment that I've, I've seen you talk about before with, with toilet paper. <sighs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the story with the toilet paper and billions of rolls of toilet paper that, that you saw or that you know we use a year and sort of how this really impacted you? Toilet paper. I mean, that's, that's a good aha moment. There were a thousand of these type of stories when I was doing sustainability in Walmart because you take any industry like toilet paper and you'd see these opportunities to do things, you know, with a fresh set of eyes to do them better. And the opportunity we saw with toilet paper was, you know, if you put more sheets on every roll, you just kind of supersize the roll that you'd have more toilet paper for less core, right? You'd have a lot of savings. And we, we actually worked with um, a manufacturer. We're kind of, we, we think we're kicking butt. It's going really well. And then you learn as you, as this comes to market, you learn that the bigger role is, turns out the more sheets people use. And so again and again, in kind of the, in the, in the space of sustainability, you're confronted with, you know, these things that feel like improvements, you know, three steps forward, but sometimes two or maybe even four steps backward. Uh, concentrated detergent was the same thing. You concentrate it, less water on the shelf. But then if you don't actually make the cup size smaller, the pour, people just use more of it. And they're just, you know, example after example. And I think it points to a bigger, it, it points to a bigger concern I have around corporate sustainability, which is, you know, there's, while there's been an incredible amount of progress made, and I applaud all of it, we write these sustainability reports, and we pat each other on the back, and yet, we're not, we're not addressing the core issues. Like we're not actually, we, we shouldn't be proud of where we are right now. Like we, we should sh- get rid of toilet paper and just use bidets. I don't know. <laughs> That's a leap, but not, not build a business around that right now. Like I think that there's some things that, um, I mean, this, this leads exactly into re-commerce. Mm. So I could spend, you know, my, my time, right. And I mean, time is, time is valuable and where we all put our energy and I I've chosen you know, not to spend my time telling people not, not to not to get gear or not to buy a new, you know, a new nano puff, but buy a really high quality one and look for one that's, you know, that's already been used. Look for a second, third, fourth opportunity to take a really high quality item. Like getting more use out of the things we've already made has that that's where the opportunity is. Right. And so I mean, everybody who makes things a little bit less bad. Right. Everybody who works on less toxic dyes and better fabric cutting for less waste, all of that all day long, we should do all of it. But the big opportunity for quality items is just don't let them sit idle in a closet. Right. Get them out. Get them back on a mountain. Get them back outside. So I want to go back to this leap because Walmart to your own business is a big leap. How, how did you do it? Like, how did the nitty gritty happen? Like you left Walmart. Did you save up? Did you find a partner? First of all, did you create the sustainability job at Walmart or was that already created? Or is it something you said, you went to your boss and you said, Hey, we need a sustainability department here. No, it was really that it was the CEO of Walmart, Lee Scott at the time, who was, um, who, who had seen the need to really to understand, to better understand the area. I was running global strategy for Lee Scott at the time. And so sustainability was one of 20 things I was working on. And, you know, there's a question, you know, oftentimes with sustainability folks on kind of what bit you, 
Like, where was the moment that you're like, this is what I need to be doing in the world? For me, it was reading Paul Hawkins' book, Ecology of Commerce. Oh, yeah. It's a great book. Oh, incredible. And Paul's incredible. And so I read that book. It's one of 20 things on my plate. And increasingly, it was all that I was really thinking about running strategy for Walmart was the strategy of sustainability. And so as that was playing out and sustainability was getting larger, um, Lee Scott asked me to start that group and to start that strategy. What year was this? 2004. Okay. So that's when the, that, that, that topic was really hot then. I completely remember it. And it was new. There was new, new sustainability. This was new in, in big companies. There was a moment, there was a moment in the mid 2000s and, you know, it was Walmart absolute credit for what, um, the, the people in that company, the associates did was, was humbling and amazing. Eco imagination was launching with GE. Mark Tursik, um, was, uh, was leading sustainability for Goldman Sachs for Hank Paulson, Nike, Hannah Jones, right? Like you've got these leaders who have come from traditional businesses and that are put into sustainability and I feel like it was the it was the moment in time that sustainability entered the boardroom, right? Sustainability became more than more than a PR effort. It actually became a strategy of the company. So, what was your first step in leaving Walmart to start Yertle? Was it finding a partner or coming up with the idea? For me, it was the drive to um, it was to drive to see this as a reality. And you asked you asked what it took. I did have a partner, Adam Wareback. Um, Adam is a long time. I actually worked with Adam uh, originally when I was doing sustainability at Walmart. Adam had been um, the president of the Sierra Club and was running a company, Act Now. And Adam was a leader and someone I could learn from. And Adam and I spent a lot of time together at Walmart um, learning from each other, right? Him learning about middle America and how to truly create change inside of Walmart. And me learning a lot about, you know, the world through Adam's eyes and sustainability. But so we ended up starting Yertle together. This is uh, 2012. What it really took, though, I would say is, is a massive amount of naivete, right? It took kind of the, the thought that we could just go do this and, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be that hard. And looking back, like that's, that's uh, blessfully foolish, right? I mean, it's, you know, building anything from scratch is hard and, and there are a lot of turns and they don't always go well. And, you know, I'm really, I'm really thankful for the naivete. So I want to go back because Adam also has an incredibly impressive resume. Like he was the youngest president of the Sierra Club. I think I read that he became the president at age 23. And just when he was in college at Brown, I read that he helped, you know, he helped enact the California Desert Protection Act, which basically created Death Valley National Park, Joshua Tree National Park. And then he sold his communications ad agency to Saatchi and Saatchi. And Saatchi and Saatchi now has the largest sustainability agency like in the country, which is pretty cool. So you guys, so, so how do you pick your partners? Um, you know, you pick someone that you feel, I mean, for me, at least my, uh, from my perspective, you pick someone you feel like working with 20 hours a day. And if you feel like that's the person that you feel like working with 20 hours a day and they bring, they bring something different to the table and those are the right ingredients together. To me, I mean, the idea is almost, you know, I mean, you, you you need to eventually find an idea, but what you really need is a, is a good partner. So when you were talking about that toilet paper story, what I took from that was like, hey, we're still wasting a ton of toilet paper. Yeah, we got rid of the core, but we're just still, we innovated this way, but we took a step backwards. We're still using a ton of toilet paper. It feels a lot like 
you know, I went to Starbucks the other day because I wanted my ticket validated at the parking garage. And if I got a coffee there, I would get it validated. They gave me a plastic cup. They're saying, no, we're, we're getting rid of straws, but the lid was just like, had so much more plastic than any other lid I'd ever seen. I went to refill my cup and they threw out the cup that I'd given them and gave me a completely new cup. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that, please. And they're like, sorry, it's our policy. We have to get rid of our old plastic cup and give you a new one every time. Yeah. And it crushed me. I'm like, I, n- I can't go here again. And I didn't have a reusable cup with me. I was, you know, on the run. You know, what, what I'm so thankful for for my time at Walmart is, is the reality that you're speaking about, right? Which is a reality of, of, I mean, for anyone who's a parent or who really cares about the future of, <laughs> the future of things, a longer time horizon, needs to address not just the aspiration of how things could be better, but how to actually, you know, how that change will occur. And, you know, one of, one of the quotes that always bothered me, but I loved it. I think it's from Bill Maher. Um, this is back in the mid two thousands, you know, when I was, when I was at Walmart, we were talking a lot about climate and Bill Maher would say, if you asked all Americans, you know, you could end the climate crisis today by just giving up your remote control. How many Americans would say, yes, let's make that trade off. And it was one of those realities you just had to confront, right? And so either you could ignore that and be like, oh, I really think everybody will and let's just go for it. Or you'd have to accept the reality that most people probably would not. And so for me, you know, I really want to see these changes happen. And so I'd much rather confront the reality of, you know, the, the way Starbucks would operate and try to figure out things that I can do that acknowledge the way Starbucks operate and creates the change that I want to see. And that, that really is the basis of re-commerce, right? It's like, this is an idea that works for brands. It works for customers. It works for the world. It works for shareholders. Like it, it, it just, you know, from the sky, from 10,000 feet, it's like, you almost wonder why we are not doing this now. Well, you are doing it now with REI, with Patagonia. So maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, what it looks like in the store from a consumer standpoint. Yeah, so I'll use, um, so we are working with Patagonia, REI, and Eileen Fisher um, in the fashion space. And they are three incredible partners. Um, and I'll just give you an example of how it works right now for Patagonia. So if you've got any item that says Patagonia on it, uh, pretty much any item, you bring it back to a Patagonia store, they hand you a gift card for, um, for either a new or used item. You take that gift card and you get the thing that um, you're looking for now, right? Could be a new size jacket for a kid, could be a different sport you're into. They take that item, that jacket that you just brought back, they clean it, or actually, you know, in, in this case, um, we work together on this. We clean it, it comes to our warehouse on behalf of them. We stock it, we sell it to the next customer as part of their worn wear brand, and the item gets put back in the world. That's awesome. How does this, how does this work at REI? Yeah. So for REI, um, all the items that come back right now that are returns that are basically sitting idle, we have started with, um, selling, basically getting those back into the world, back in use. And we are moving into a space of, Hey, there's also just like Patagonia, a lot of these items in our closets and garages. How do we start thinking about getting those items back as well? Right now that we are developing a stream of, you know, the, the resale side, how do we start pulling more of those items back? 
And so it's, it's very similar. So both on Patagonia and REI, you just go to REI.com right at the top. There's a link shop used gear. And, you know, there, there are tens of thousands of items out there. And when you buy an item from REI used gear compared to eBay, you know that REI stands behind that item. Yeah, it's awesome. You can get a tent that way. That is such a great way to get a tent. And when you get a tent, you know that, you know, you know, someone's gone through it and checked every pole, right? When you buy, like when you, you can get a sleeping pad, you know, someone has blown that thing up and made sure there aren't leaks. And if you find any problem, you know, REI takes any item back, any used item, you just send it back. No questions asked for 30 days. So it's, it's super cool. How much saving is this creating? I'm sure you have some sort of metric to define this. Any item that gets reused, there's a 20 to 30% reduction of its overall footprint. If you look at anything we can do in the supply chain today, 20, 2018, right now, I don't know anything that comes close to just getting more use out of what we've already made. Unless you're, unless you're not going to buy an item at all, this is the best thing I know of. Yeah, I love, I love this old saying. My, my fiance uses it a lot. He says, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. But this sort of takes it to another level, you know. It gets you to use it up and really wear it out. Because sometimes I'm just sick of a color. Like I have a, a green jacket from Patagonia and I'm just over it because I've worn it to death. And I want to get navy blue. That's a great way for me to get a navy blue jacket instead. Uh, you're sick of a color. It turned out you didn't really like mountain biking. You're, you're changed sports. Or, you know, you, you change sizes. Or who knows, right? Or you have kids that grow like weeds. Or... You know, all kinds of things. And what's unique about what REI and others are doing is this has always been there. It's just hard, right? So like you you meet up with someone on Craigslist and you don't really know what's going to happen. Whereas when you get a used item from REI, they stand behind it. It's a free eye, right? So it's like the easier this gets and the more that leadership brands take this on and make it easy for all of us, the more of it we do. Mm. So REI is doing it well. Obviously now Patagonia is doing it well. Eileen Fisher, who else like in the whole scope of brands in, in the US is doing sustainability well? The North Face is the other company that just launched, um, just launched e-commerce. So they are doing buyback and resale, which is awesome. Like anything that you care about, I want to see the space work. It makes sense. It's good for everybody. We all save money. We get the gear that we want. It is the best thing I know of for the planet. It works for companies who do it because they're able to continue to kind of maintain the relationship with a customer to get the extra sale. So it just, I want to see more of it. And what that's going to take is it's going to take more brands who see the opportunity and take the leap. Which is, which is happening every day. Yeah. Well, it's cool because there's actually a lot of CEOs who listen to this podcast because my background is in writing about the business of the action and outdoor sports industries. So, you know, to those guys, to the CEOs and presidents of these companies, like how does it make sense for business? Think of, uh, think of, um, I'll speak about it from a Patagonia point of view. So Patagonia right now is, I mean, you could spend 10 or 15 years developing a nanopuff with you know, incredible material science and a ton of testing, both on people and, you know, in, in labs and you sell, you know, Patagonia gets the first sale, but then, you know, when, when the person moves it on, they might use eBay or someone else. And so for, for any brand out there, why would you not take advantage of that second, third, fourth sale? 
Like, why would that not be an opportunity to say to the customer, hey, bring, you know, we'll, we'll take back the item whenever you're done with it, which gives the brand another shot at what else they might need. Brands make money, right? They additional, you know, found money on the second, third, fourth sale. And then the benefit of selling used, especially with brands that might be out of the range for some people, right? So, I mean, these quality items, they're expensive, and that means they're not always accessible for everyone. So it allows a brand to not degrade the quality of their item, but to still reach a customer that might not be able to afford that brand right now in their life. So they're able to kind of bring in a whole new group of customers. Oh, that's awesome. You look at that and you're like, why would every brand not be doing this? And so you guys handle most of the back end of that. Yeah. And so that the answer, you know, let me, let me, maybe I, I can, here's what I hear when I'm like, why brand so-and-so are you not doing this? What I typically hear, we hear a few things. One, we hear, you know, used, there's this old view of used. And this is less true in the outdoor industry, but I think in most of the world, you know, in the U.S., I should say, this view of used is like a Sanford and Sons view of used, as opposed to, you know, when you think of, you know, certified pre-owned Lexus, you're not thinking of that, right? It's like, mm. it's, you're thinking I, dirty thrift shops. Yeah. And, and that's not, that's almost like thinking of Uber or Lyft is like a car pulling app. Yep. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's used, what I would say is it's used done right, right? It's being brought into the modern era. So I think that that is, that concern has all been eliminated as these brands have Patagonia and Eileen Fisher and REI and, and the North face to look at right now. So I think that the next concern is, um, is it's hard right? Like you need a logistics operation. You've got a website and a storefront. You got to stand up. And even if every brand could do that, they got five things ahead of it on the technical roadmap. And that's where we come in. So, I mean, the service that we offer is when a brand signs up, the rest of it's turnkey. That's Items cool. come to us. We, we stock them. We, we stand up the storefront completely within their brand. It's all white label. The brand holds all of the customer information and they're off to the races, right, in two to three months. So what, what brands outside of apparel are doing it well? Like, have you seen anybody else do it well in, in another space, whether it's tech or other consumer goods? You know, GameStop is doing a nice job with uh, video games. Other than that, the, the players that are doing well other than that are not brands themselves. They're these third-party marketplaces. So the real, real is doing great work um, around luxury goods. Interesting. I didn't even know about this world. This is so interesting. So I think a lot of people here, one, they just want to make the world better. You know, what's one of the biggest ways as, cons- as consumers, as individuals, what are some things we can do right now besides just buying reusable gear and selling our old gear rather than just throwing it in the trash, you know, what are some things we can do? Buy, buy, um, buy fewer items that are really beautiful quality, right? That are really re- well made. Yeah. I, I, always, know, I always like Europeans or my Italian friends who have like only a few jackets, but they're incredibly expensive and really well made. Well, you know, one of, one of the things we see is when, um, and we're seeing it right now with Patagonia. So a lot of customers who buy from Warnware have never bought from Patagonia like more, far more than half, right, have never bought from Patagonia. And as those, as those customers get to experience what a really awesome jacket or, you know, clothing that's just super well-made 
they, they, they turn out to then go back to Patagonia for more of the items. Right? I, so yeah, that's, that's cool. I'm really excited to try out tents now because, you know, people make new tent technology every year and it's hard to, it's hard to keep up. I tell you, one of, one, of the, uh, one of the spaces I'm most excited about with REI right now for used is sleeping bags. Mm. And, you know, we, only, we were only able to do sleeping. REI only started doing um, sleeping bags used probably, I don't know, it's probably two months ago. And it took, us, it took us a while to get, you know, to get sleeping bags on the REI used gear site. But there are some awesome sleeping bags out there. And, you know, I've got two kids who, um, who really want nice, nice bags. What it took for us to get sleeping bags on the, on the site was really um, was basically certified refurb, was putting them through a cleaning process. We're using a company called Tursis out of Colorado that does high-pressure CO2 cleaning. And those bags that we resell on REI used, I've been in the supply chains. These bags used are, are clean. I mean, I am, I feel better about a used REI bag right now than any bag I'd buy off the shelf. Wow. Like they are cleaned so well. And so you take a category that, you know, people would be like, I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that. You know, I feel better about these bags than anything. And, you know, they're a lot less expensive and you can buy a beautiful bag. So it's, you know, you look at, you look at the way the space is evolving and the innovation that, you know, REI is driving and we're just getting started. So this is so interesting because I actually went to go try and buy a sleeping bag at the used gear sale. And they said that, you know, in California, there's a law and you can't sell used sleeping bags in California. So can you now? You can, and oh, it's because it's required in California and a number of other states was that bag had to be certified, and so it just took the innovation and the work to make sure that we could get that, that bag certified in all 50 states. I can't believe I just spent $300 on a sleeping bag, and I could have got a used one. That's well, so awesome. If it's a great bag, awesome. Enjoy it. Um, and for people who are thinking about a bag and, and might be able to find an even nicer bag than they were considering, check out REI Used. There are that, a bunch of ads on there right now. That is awesome. What do you think the future of sustainability looks like? Like, what do you think we're, it's going to look like in five years? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it might be longer than five years, but I think it's a lot less about um, sustainability reports and, you know, hey, look, we, we did this and we did this. And I think it's much more about the fundamental models that, um, that we are a part of. So, I mean, the fundamental commerce model that we, including myself, everybody, most people are a part of, is a model based on um, economies of scale of production. It's based on um, credit, right, and um, and advertising, right, and so it's it's all about new consumption. And that model, like, no matter how much less bad you make that model, you're not addressing the actual model. And we will, you know, sustainability in the future will have more things to address that core model. What REI is doing right now with used gear, so taking items that are sitting idle and putting them back in use, eventually pulling those items back from closets and garages, that is, that is, that is one of the big innovations that starts to address the core model, right? So it's like sell a, sell a bag first once, high quality, great bag, REI sells great items, and then whenever it's not being used, sell it again and again. Right. Eventually get to the point that someone can use it when you're not using it. Like just, you know, use these things to an inch of their life. And when they need repair, repair them. And now we're actually addressing the core model. We're not just playing around the edges. 
and sustainability with more transparency and more people who who are attuned to what's going on. My hope and expectation is that companies companies will need to and will be excited about finding these type of opportunities. We're going to take a break to hear from our sponsor, but when we come back, Andy breaks down how you can get a job in sustainability and more. This episode was brought to you by REI, a company that's raising the bar on sustainable gear. The co-op recently launched product sustainability standards that apply to everything it carries. So in addition to working with brand partners to improve sustainability practices in the supply chain, they're bringing customers more products with leading sustainability features, including organically grown cotton, fair trade certification, blue sign approved materials, responsibly sourced down, and so much more. So look for products with these features while shopping on REI.com or in store and help support better ways of making products. You can also check out REI.com forward slash used to find deals and help keep used gear out of the landfill. You know, I think a lot of people listening want to have a career in sustainability. You know, how, how does one get a career in sustainability? Like if they're in college, what should they study? If they're not in college, they're an adult already, what should they read? Yeah. Um, you know, my, my, um, again, the, the book that bit me ecology of commerce by Paul Hawkins, still one of my favorites. Um, there, there is, there's a lot of good reading out there. I think that my recommendation for someone in school or deciding what to study for sustainability or even thinking about a, you know, first or second job, I've always encouraged people to go into mainline businesses to understand them. But to do it with a mindset of um, a much larger, you know, it's often called systems thinking um, or kind of the boundaries, but with a much larger mindset. And often that creates frustration. So when you're in a, let's say you're in a traditional buying job at, at Target, but you've got this mindset toward, you know, <laughs> toward, toward where these things come from, how they're made, what, you know, what, what this is doing to our planet. It's, you're, you're almost, you're, you're creating kind of that mindset, but you've got to understand how this world works so that you can actually, I think it's important to do that so that you can actually turn it on its head, right? So that you can go into one of these roles that, um, that really can create change. And that, that might not be necessary. Like you might be able to jump right there, but I certainly think understanding, you know, understanding the model that we live in today, how that works, um, allows someone who really cares about change and sustainability to be a lot more effective. I really appreciate that advice. I think a lot of people just want to go be a warrior. And I think sometimes it's good to work where we're at and understand all sides of, of the equation. I love warriors and I love when people do that too. I just think it's, it's, um, you can, you know, people should consider both, but if, if someone's ready to just go charge forward, I think there's an important, that, that plays a really important role as well. It's, it's a, it's an ecology, it's an ecosystem. And there's a need for activists. There's a need for warriors. There's a need for startups. There's a need for big companies with scale. You know, everyone's got a role to play. There's a need for government. And it's just, you know, going into, going into those roles with open eyes about which role you're in and just, just doing it. If you are to go study something, you know, and you want to work in sustainability, what sort of majors would you advise college kids especially to study? Because I, I get this question a lot and, and I, I would love your advice. I love this combination of two things. I think one is some hard science, right? It could be, I mean, biology is amazing, right? So biology, ecology, chemistry, right? Some um, philosophy, some science, right? Something that is, 
um, computer science. And then on the other side, you know, I, what I always look for in a resume is then something kind of wacky and creative. So it's like you've majored in chemistry, but then you were in Peace Corps, right? Or you, um, you know, you just did something, you, you've got a love of art in some way or dance or just something that is very liberal arts, right? Something that is um, music, just something that's the opposite of that. And I always look for those two things. And I think they're, I think what we're talking about is an understanding of the system with the openness of how it should be. Oh, I love that. What do you do for fun when you're not saving the planet? I love, uh, I love backpacking, backpacking, guitar, kids. I got two kids, uh, 11 and 13. Yeah, I think that's, that is all my life has time for right now. Um, startup is fairly occupying. So, so we kind of ask a lot of, a lot of our guests a similar question. You're a busy, highly successful guy. You know, any routines that keep you balanced and sane that you just do every day, every morning? You know, guitar, honestly, uh, guitar is something that's always helped me. It's, it's not anything. I'm not, I'm honestly not even very good. It's just kind of a, I think it's always, I, I got the advice early in my career to always have three things, right? So, um, for me, it's, you know, work, family, and there's always that third. And the third for me has been guitar. And if you always got three things you're really into at any one point in time, you know, maybe your job's not going well. Maybe, maybe you're frustrated about not playing, being, being able to hit a song on guitar or family's not going well, whatever it is. But if you've got three, you've always got, you know, one and, and often two to kind of fall back on. So I think that's, um, I've, I've always heeded that advice and it's, so guitar has been super helpful. What song are you jamming out to most right now? Ah, um, such a good question. Um, gosh, why is it, uh, the, um, Folsom, Folsom prison blues. <laughs> I'm really enjoying right now. That's awesome. So where else do you find your inspiration for what you do besides guitar? Yeah. Um, people, right. So, um, one thing that, you know, my, my co-founder, my original co-founder, Adam Wareback is really good at is asking the right question. I think there's a real skill in, um, in just, you know, not asking a hundred questions of someone, but just asking the right one question could be as simple as, you know, what's, what's, what's one thing that's really captivating you right now? Like, what are you seeing? That's really, you know, really, really piquing your interest right now. So I find a lot of motivation in just seeing what's motivating other people mm. in its conversations and <laughs> tends to be that no matter no matter how early I start a day or no matter how tired I am for whatever it's come before, I, I jump into one good conversation. I feel like I've, I've had all the coffee in the world. So I get a lot of motivation from that. So what is motivating you right now? What is that one thing? I love that question. I'm stealing it. Awesome. I think there's, I, I think I, I think I have misphrased it. I think it actually, uh, you, you could look it up. Al Gore, I think, was the one who coined that. He might have taken it from someone else. So I should give him credit on a podcast, but it's somewhere out there. And he probably asked it better. What is one thing that is, uh, that is captivating me right now? I'm reading, I'm reading this uh, kind of nerdy. It's, it's not that nerdy, actually. This book, Sapiens. Okay. Um, and it's just like, uh, it's basically the, it's a, a history of, of sapiens, homo sapiens, over you know, 300 pages. And so it moves fast, and there's a lot of focus. Um, it's this author's third book, really well written, and it's um, there's a lot in there about humans and narrative, right? Narrative in narrative in brands, narrative in companies, narrative in capitalism and currency and religion and countries, and it's just a it's it's a deep, fascinating book. 
Well, we'll have to put it in the show notes. That sounds really interesting. You know, how do you not get overwhelmed? I think that's, that's the biggest question I have for you is like, there's so much to do. I think it's fine to be overwhelmed one to two days a week. Right? I think it's fine to not um, to be frustrated one or two days a week. I think that the points, um, the point of the point of happiness, at least for me, or where I feel like I'm, I'm hitting on all cylinders, is where I'm I'm really excited and kind of in flow four to five days a week, right? So not looking for something that is, you know, if, if you're doing something big and hard, you should be overwhelmed a little bit. You should be a little bit scared. Um, a little bit intimidated by something. And then just knowing that, you know, you've been intimidated before, you've been overwhelmed before, and this too will pass, right? Something will show up and you will figure this out like everything else. No, that, that's great. How do you how do you choose what to do? You get hit up a lot to do a lot of different things, to make a lot of decisions. A good uh, a good group of people around around me. So for me, I love my board right now. I've affected the fundraising dynamics to create the right board of directors. And there are people that I go to, you know, I go to different, I go to different phone of friends for different issues on the board and group of advisors and people that, you know, I can be, you know, and, and can be very candid with, um, people who work for me, people that, uh, that I respect in other startups. And you just, you, you know, the fun part there is you put the real challenges in front of them and you, you get their advice. You, you show them your calendar and say, Hey, here's what, here's what I'm trying to get done right now look at my calendar and give me some tough love. Like, where am I spending my time? I shouldn't be. And then you have to, then you have to really be prepared to listen and, and decide you're going to be better. But I mean, the, the choice is either not being as good as you feel like you could be or getting really good at getting better. That's a really good question to ask yourself. Am I spending my time on the things that I need to spend the time on or spending too much time on something I don't really need to be spending that much time on? And I yeah. think that's hard. The people I'd credit that with, uh, I, I don't know if it's uh, folklore or real, but um, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer apparently used to review each other's calendars, um, either on a weekly or biweekly basis. And so there's just, you know, it's what's great about um, it's what's great about learning. There are so many things out there for anyone who's just driven to um, to keep, you know, to keep figuring these things out, keep getting better. There, there's a lot out there to, to learn from. Andy, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, like what, what did you think you might be doing when you were a kid? Yeah, I thought as a kid I would do architecture, um, which I briefly majored in before finishing in engineering. I, I could not decide. Um, but then uh, before I ever got into business, you know, I thought that I would work in business for about a year to understand it, but I plan on doing um, nonprofit work. That was my, that was my plan. And I thought I would just take a, I would dip a toe into the for-profit world just so I can understand it. And what I came to realize is how much change potential exists in, um, in corporations, right? In companies like REI and what they're doing for used gear and became captivated by that and haven't, haven't looked back. Well, Andy, this has been a fantastic conversation. I love talking with smart people that are trying to impact change in, in a sustainable way and who are just making it happen. I love the jump from Walmart to sustainability in a major way. I think it's really interesting. You know, if you could leave us with one message, what's that message? Like if you were to fly an eco-friendly plane around the world and it had a little banner hanging off it, what's that message? It is so apparent to me, I mean, like beyond a reasonable doubt that in the future, one out of four items in our lives will come from someone else, not a new supply chain. So the single message would be, you know, if, if you're, 
if in, in that world, in that future, that world that is, that is being shaped right now, that place we will get to that, you know, we're not just talking about how to make things a little bit better. We're talking about getting more out of the things we've already made. That'll be such a, it'll, it'll be not just a less, um, a world with less footprint. It'll be a more connected human world, right? Because we are more connected, not only, you know, in a new way through our things. The message would be to kind of be a part of that. If you're a brand, you know, this is, this is something you got to figure out. The world's happening now. And if you're not a part of it, someone else is going to do it for your items. If you're a customer or a shopper or an outdoors person, think about, um, the gear you have and, What's sitting idle right now that could be in someone else's hands? If you're a um, startup person, just think about a way that you could compete with us or just be out there. Right? I mean, whoever you are, I think that that's a, it's something that's happening right now. It's something that's meaningful and it's fun to be a part of. Andy, it has been such a pleasure. Likewise. Awesome. Well, I look forward to meeting live someday and thank you for, uh, thank you for having me be a part of this. Thank you to Andy and REI for reducing waste and keeping the environment in mind with your businesses. I'm super stoked to be partnering with a company that cares about our environment. Thank you for listening to this show and writing reviews. I know I say it every week, but these reviews are awesome and they really help this show grow. I also have no idea who you are when you write a review. So if you want, email me. We've got a couple new ones from MudMS84. Subscribe now. This podcast was such a great find for me. It really opens your mind to other possibilities for your life. Side note, my party would be at a tight valley surrounded by mountains. The devil makes three playing the music. The guest of honor would have to be Hunter S. Thompson. That was a pretty fun review. So thank you guys for writing reviews. Thank you for listening. We have some awesome guests coming up. Alex Honnold, Rue Map, Jamie Mitchell, Peter Mel. Stay tuned. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.